Yeah, so welcome welcome to a special edition of Food Safety Talk. I'm not sure how we're going to number this or what we're going to call it, but uh, as inevitably happens, as soon as we record an episode and we talk about something, uh, the food safety world changed. And so uh, the episode that just posted, which is episode 151, Ben and I um, had just finished talking about uh, the state of the romaine lettuce recall. And then um, some announcements came out and everything changed. Uh, and of course, the episode uh, just posted, um, and now it's immediately out of date. And so to uh, to remedy this uh, situation, Ben and I are having an impromptu extra bonus food safety talk uh, with our colleagues, uh, Michelle Daniluk and Travis uh, Chapin from the University of Florida. So Ben, why don't we start with you? Why don't you bring us up to date, bring uh, Michelle and Travis up to date with what was the state of play when we last finished recording an episode of Food Safety Talk, and then we'll we'll go forward from there. Okay, so what what we uh, we just talked about was we know we knew at the time that there were eighty four uh, illnesses um, linked to this outbreak, and uh, about four. I think if my memory serves me correctly, there were forty two hospitalizations. Um, epidemiologically there, it was a mess. It was, uh, a cluster as, as some might, might say, no, I, I, I'm not, it's too strong. Um, there, it was a mess because what, what people were clamoring for is, um, more information and what CDC epidemiologically was able to say at the time was, uh, this, um, was the, these illnesses were linked to romaine lettuce that was produced in the Yuma region of Arizona. Um, a few days before uh, we recorded, there was some information that said it's cut bagged romaine, but then uh, our um, the the most recent update said, well, there are some illnesses from some whole uh, head uh, romaine um, out of that was linked to some illnesses in a. Um, penitentiary prison system in, in Alaska. So it became all um, romaine uh, lettuce that was grown in, in Yuma. Um, and so that's, that's where we ended. And then, and so what happened, what has happened since then? So um, since then we've, we've had uh, 14 additional illnesses um, with, uh, you know, more States reporting in the most recent illness was, April 20th, um, which is still within kind of this, um, this window of, uh, e people might've developed illness, uh, after the initial, uh, health alert around romaine, uh, romaine lettuce came out because that initial alert, um, happened as I go back to my trusty calendar here, the Friday before the conference for food protection, which was April 13th. So the most recent illness, uh, had a date of April 20th. Um, and, uh, the, the other piece of information is that, um, that FDA has, um, started this, uh, this trace back, um, situation. And there's, uh, I guess some, some facility or farm, uh, information that is, that is percolated, uh, through, um, you know, through the online discussion and through this, uh, through this trace back. And so, um, what I'll, what I'll 
I'll read directly from FDA's statement that came out on April 27th, which was a couple of days ago, right after we recorded. Uh, FDA has identified one farm as the source of the whole head romaine lettuce that has sickened several people at a correctional facility in Alaska. However, the agency has not determined where in the supply chain the contamination occurred. The agency is examining all possibilities, including contamination um, may have occurred at any point along the growing, harvesting, packing, and distribution chain before reaching that Alaska correctional facility. So that's I think that's where we're where we're kind of at right now. Um, also, um, also from FDA's statement, um, the lettuce in question from this farm was harvested during the March fifth to sixteenth uh, time period, and it's past its twenty-one day shelf life. So um, you know the thought is that farm is not growing anything uh, at this time. So, Michelle and Travis, that brings you guys up to date with what our audience knows. Um, what, so what are, your, what are your general thoughts and maybe some specific thoughts about this outbreak? Uh, do, is it different? I mean, I think there are a couple of things that are, that are kind of different about this, and I want to dig into that a little bit. But, but before I um, uh, taint the waters with, uh, with, with my comments, I want to get your unbiased uh, perspective. Well, for one, I think it shows the complication of the supply chain uh, in certain parts of the produce industry. Uh, In the cantaloupe outbreaks, it's been fairly easy to trace those back to a single farm. But I think this one is showing another part of the industry where that's very difficult. And even, even in this part of the industry that... I think does have a strong, uh, you know, at least some kind of traceability program in place. So even there, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see why they're having such a hard time tracing this. And and for me, I think what's so telling is, you know, we're 12 years after the 2006 spinach outbreak. This is, I think, the largest outbreak in leafy greens that has happened since that point. Um, and so for me, uh, you know, the LGMA program within Arizona has existed for a long time. Certainly it's a pretty strong program. They've got very intensive efforts to figure or to put in place for resources from the state and from local extension of the University of Arizona. Um, and so it, it's really, I'm, I would be really, I'm really curious to hear what they think the eventual source is. Uh, certainly for me, it's a lot of people sick a lot of people sick, a lot of people hospitalized. I think this is not just a point contamination issue. This has to be some sort of a potential for cross-contamination, either during the cutting or during some other process, and then for maybe even growth of organism during the cold chain. So those are my sort of initial thoughts on this. It's, I'm, 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 I'm sad to see an outbreak like this happen when we, you know, in a product, in a situation where we should, we should be doing better. Yeah, and I would be very interested to know, like, so for example, we know we're, we're, the FDA seems quite certain that the uh, the head the, the head lettuce that made the people in Alaska sick uh, definitely came from Harrison Farms of Yuma, Arizona. The question is. Uh, did that farm sell lettuce to any romaine lettuce to anyone that cut that lettuce? And if not, what was the path from Harrison Farm of that head lettuce through the distribution chain to eventually end up in Alaska? Because you're right, Michelle, if it was a cross-contamination event that occurred 
downstream of harvest at Harrison Farms, then what was that cross-contamination event? And, and also, I think that, you know, the one thing that, that Ben and I have talked about, that, and then you've alluded to it as well, is I think that this particular strain is, seems to be quite virulent, right? And in other words, that the number of hospitalizations is, is holding pretty steady at 50% of the number of ill, which is, which is, I mean, E. coli is no fun, but it is a special, this seems to be an especially virulent strain. Well, yeah, and one thing I want to sort of talk about with with everybody here is, as you said, Don, it's you know th- this head lettuce. Okay, we've got a we got a straight line um, to to Harrison Farms based on the information that's out there. Is it possible that um, some head lettuce that Harrison Farms grew ended up being traded? Um, elsewhere and added to a shipment or filled out an order for someone and passed through two or three different hands before it got to a processor. I mean, I I think it's possible. I think that's what you're um, sort of alluding to, Travis, is that this is a uh, complicated, can be a complicated supply chain issue. One other thing I want to bring up here is what if we're looking at two different outbreaks. Um, what if, what if we're and I, I'll, I'll go back to the April 10th announcement from CDC, which is the last time that anybody at CDC, I think talked about how they found this outbreak, which was, um, a, a combination they say of PFGE and whole genome sequencing. Um, what if, what if the PFG, what if this is just a common PFGE fingerprint that there are two or three farms in question in this area um, that, that are linked to this. And, and it just it, it just looks like one big outbreak. Or is it one big outbreak if it's coming from a common water source or um, wildlife that, that may be uh, moving this pathogen um, to, to different fields? But maybe it's include, you know, involving two, one or two, like one or two other um, producers, which yeah, so, is not, not how we've seen stuff in the past. Right. So in other words, let's say that uh, Harrison Farms is using a contaminated water source. Um, who else is using that water source, right? That would be the, the question that I would I would want to know the answer <laughs> yeah, to. And, go ahead, Travis. No, and uh, I'll tell you from my brief experiences out there, uh, the water sources are not easy to identify or define. Um and, and maybe not in the Yuma region so much, but in, in some farms just in general in the West, they receive water from a, a water supply company and that water supply company, some days may be surface water, some days may be well water, some days may be reclaimed water. And they, it's really hard or impossible for the farmer to even know what their original source of water is. So, so talk, to, that's, this is fascinating, Travis, and this is new to me. So talk to me a little bit more about how water gets distributed in Yuma, Arizona. Does literally, does a truck show up with water? Is that what you're saying? Uh, no, in okay. Yuma, they have uh, canals okay. and not the kind of canals that we're used to in Florida. They're kind of concrete line ditches, um, but they literally just pretty much run along the fence line along the roads all through the growing region. And, and there's a, there's a separate company that manages that. And then, so one day they open, they open the sluice gates over here and another day they open them over there. And, and so on any given day, you know, your water is coming from this concrete canal, but you don't know what you the don't know up, where the, where the input is. Yeah. Whoa. What that, the input into that canal is, it can be really complicated. 
Wow. wow. Um, well, that, boy, I think uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit my bell. That, that sure to me sounds like a, a likely explanation of the complexity here. And so maybe, and again, I'm just going to go completely out on a limb and speculate here. So maybe Harrison Farms got a bad slug on a given day, but maybe some other people got bad slugs on the same or different days. And that, that is what explains it. Well, and yeah, I mean, um, one of the other things that we look at in, in outbreaks like this is water events, right? So is there, is there flooding and Yuma, I, my guess was, uh, before just doing a little Google typing here that, you know, it's a pretty dry part of the, the country. So I looked up the March, 2018, um, precipitation from the national weather service and Yuma, Arizona, uh, received 0.01 inches of precipitation in March 2018. So it's probably not flooding. It's probably it's, probably, it's unlikely that uh, <laughs> that that was the source. That that if we're if we're looking at, at water, it's it's probably you know maybe it's maybe maybe these these canals uh, would be where someone uh, you know that is smarter than us is probably already investigating. But that that could explain. Um, could explain something here. It's probably not coming from, uh, you know, from flooding events. Yeah, I think you're probably on the money with that one, Ben. <laughs> the, the wettest, uh, in case you want to know, the the record for wettest March in Yuma was in 1905, and they received 3.3 inches of rain in the month. So I, arid, I think, is the right term uh, for that uh, part of the country. Wow. Well, so I want to I want to move to another aspect of this outbreak, which to me is at least in terms of the way it's bubbling up from the media is unique to me. So I and again, there's a lot to be, you know, there's a lot to, that we don't know. There's a lot. Obviously, it's a tragedy. I mean, people are really sick with this. But one of the things that's been very interesting to me is the calling out of a specific growing region. And I don't remember and, and not only the calling out of a specific growing reason, region, but – and I've been using this in some of my own communication efforts to say, well, you know, the, the problem really seems to be very clearly linked to Yuma, Arizona – and we are not harvesting lettuce from Yuma, Arizona anymore. And again, this has been used in the FDA messaging as well. Um, and so therefore, if you can be sure that your lettuce did not come from Yuma, you can be sure, and Ben and I talked about this on the podcast as well, that that lettuce is as safe as romaine lettuce ever is, right? Not that it's safe, but that it's not linked to, to Yuma. And I want to ask the three of you for your perspective on that. So to what do, do you remember, are there other outbreaks where we were able to really talk about a specific region? And, and maybe it's just the luck. Yes. Yes. Yeah, yes. go ahead. Go ahead. 2008 tomatoes from Florida. Ha, ha, yeah. Yeah, how did that work out? It worked out so well. That was such a good time <laughs> in my life. Uh, so and by so well, Michelle, Michelle means, uh, for those of you that don't get the irony in her voice, uh, not not very well, I think. Um, yeah. So why don't you for again, for listeners, Michelle, that might not be intimately familiar with that outbreak. Can you talk a little bit about how that was the same and or different from the, the situation we're facing now? Yeah, I mean, I guess what I can say is back in 2008, there was a really large Salmonella St. Paul uh, outbreak in, um, I guess, June, late May, early June, I think maybe even later in the summer than that, of uh, 2000, um, 2008, and it was Salmonella St. Paul, and the initial epidemiology linked it back to tomatoes or dishes containing tomatoes. Um, and at that point, they linked it specifically back to Florida tomatoes, so we lost our tomato market. 
uh, tomatoes came off the market, the outbreak continued and it ended up being peppers, um, hot peppers in particular coming in from Mexico that ended up being the culprit. Um, but because they're often mixed with tomatoes and things like salsa, that's why tomatoes ended up hitting so high on the list. Um, but so Don, you said another example where they've said just don't eat tomatoes from a, or just don't eat produce from a specific region. Certainly Florida tomatoes at that point had the finger pointed at them. Uh, what I hope is different here is that it didn't end up being Florida tomatoes in the end. Um, and I, I like to believe they have enough strong epidemiology, certainly in that situation with the prison up in Alaska to point back specifically at Romaine from Arizona. Yeah, and I will say too, I had the the pleasure, or rather the the, the misfortune, to be standing in a New Jersey spinach field uh, at the height of the concern about the the, the spinach outbreak that we later uh, learned was spinach from from California, and the grower telling me that he was going to have to disc under his crop um, because guess what, the market had fallen out for 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 spinach, um, even though obviously his spinach in New Jersey was was no different in terms of the safety of what it had ever been. And so I guess I'd like, I, I, it's, I guess we're moving forward. I mean, certainly we're not to this, the situation where we say don't eat spinach, right? Um, at least we're saying, well, don't eat romaine lettuce um, if, unless you can be sure it's not from Yuma, Arizona. And, and yeah, and so maybe, maybe we are getting better. Uh, certainly we're, we're, we do, it, to me it seems like we're getting better, but it remains to be seen um, uh, you know, until we, of course, learn as much as we're going to learn about this outbreak. And again, we may never, with that, with, as with these outbreaks many times, we may never know all that we would like to know about it. What, I, have a, I have another question and, um, for, for the three of you. What do you think about this idea of it's 21 days past the shelf life of the product, um, and so we don't think that there's anything left on the, uh, on the, uh, on the market? It, I, I do think- you... Uh, so Do you think that's true? Yeah, let me let me so let me take a crack at that. Um, I I think that that goes into one's risk calculation, right? Uh, there's no such thing as zero, but boy, that looks like a number that's darn close to zero. Uh, I mean, I don't know what 21 day romaine lettuce looks like, but I don't think I would want to eat it. Um, but you know, people do stupid stuff, right? I mean, you know, think back to some of Bill Hallman's um, stuff, talking with people on at the height of the spinach outbreak. And it's like, yeah, I, I knew I had spinach. I knew it was potentially contaminated and I ate it anyway. So people will do stupid things. So, uh, but yeah, but my thoughts are that it definitely goes into my, my own personal risk calculation. Yeah. And I would agree with that. I would say probably not available still in a retail store. I would like to believe that the, you know, retail stores have strong enough control over the, the use by dates on their products that they should not be out there probably in some people's home refrigerators still now. That's what, yeah. I mean, it's exactly what I, what I was thinking, um, is that 21 days is a long time. Um, and you know, the most up-to-date illness, um, you know, it looks like we're definitely on the downside of things, but with those illnesses showing up, uh, as you know, the, the 20th of, um, of, uh, April, even if it was on the last day of production from Harrison Farms, if that was the the source for those illnesses, um, now we're looking at um, 
you know, I guess it's within the window of, okay, 21 days plus maybe a week for someone to uh, show symptoms and, and get their illness confirmed because it's about, a, you know, about a month after the last one have been shipped. I, 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 it would not, I mean, truthfully surprise me if there was some. Ben, can you, can you remind us what the harvest date was on that product? I can. Um, it, let me uh, go back here. Find it. Uh, FDA says on their website, uh, all the lettuce in question from this farm, that's the farm that's linked yes. to, to Alaska, was harvested during March 15, uh, March 5 through 16 and is past its 21-day shelf life. Yep. So I have no idea how large Harris Farms is, but do you think they had enough volume to ship to 22 states over that time period? It's a, it's a good question. I don't know. I don't know enough. I had never visited Yuma, and I don't have much knowledge of that. So, yeah, it's, that's, yeah. A, that's a really good question, though, Travis. I I don't know. Um, I also uh, have been, like, I, I was late to us recording this because I was talking to a journalist who asked a really similar question, and I said, you should call Harrison Farms to ask that question. And she said, I called them three times, and they keep hanging up on me every time I tell them that I'm calling about this story. Um, and, don't, don't, don't they know democracy dies in darkness, Ben? This is, right, this right. is shining, shining a light that needs to be shown. Well, and, and I told, told the journalist in question, isn't that maybe all you need to know? Um, the fact that they don't want to talk about this outbreak um, it makes me think that um, they, they're, they're not doing a great job in communicating their story. Well, let me, so let me, let, me, let me turn that around and turn that into a question for the three of you, okay? You guys all have experience working with, with growers. Um, let's say that you were magically there at, at Harrison Farms. What would your advice be? Would you, would you tell the farm to talk to the Washington Post? And, and if so, what would you coach them to say and what to not say? I would probably, I would probably hang up the phone also. <laughs> okay. So that's one, one vote for hang up. Okay. It's just, it's not enough. We don't know enough at this point, you know, other than the fact that they're active members of the LGMA in Arizona and, you know, they, they've, they've had a good track record until now. Uh, I don't know what else they could say at this point. Any, 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 any other votes besides hang up? <laughs> <laughs> I have a vote that's other than hang up, but I'll, but I'll let Michelle talk. I, I would like to just give whoever is their poor QAQC food safety manager a hug because I'm sure they're not <laughs> having a good week. Uh, nice. I, that's what I would do if I was in Arizona right now. I hope they have a QAQC food safety person. Yeah. Um, okay, so, we have, so we, have, we have one hang up, one hug, and Ben... I would say um, we're really, really sorry that our product's been linked to these illnesses in Alaska. And um, we're, we're sure we're members of LGMA, um, but I would tell people what they do for food safety to make sure stuff like this doesn't happen and what information they do have about what as they've done their investigation, if they've gotten that far to see if there's anything that was out of, out of the ordinary, I would tell people about what, like 
that here are the things that we manage in our food safety program, water and employees and wildlife and production uh, environment. And all of these things are things that, that we're looking at right now. And, and the last thing that I would say is as information comes available, we're available to talk to you about it. Um, and I, you know, I'm just, well, so, so here's a question. Did they get the opportunity to say any of that to the reporter you were just talking to? And it was when that reporter started asking questions like, well, did you distribute to these 22 states? Is that when they hung up? I mean, did they hang up right at the beginning or was there that dialogue before going in? Certainly I, I agree. Everything you said are the right things to say. Having never been involved in a in an investigation like this you know how much are they allowed to say that doesn't go you know that hasn't been confirmed by cdc or fda do you know what that interplay of communication release looks like at all sure i mean it's their business and so i don't know when when the when, when the hang-up happened <laughs> i suspect it, it was after they said washington post <laughs> yeah i mean that's i think that's probably it or how about you know i'm a journalist and i'd like to talk about this outbreak, I, I, my guess, my get, total guess is that that's when the hangup happened. And they, that, cause in my, I don't know, 15 or 20 years following this stuff, that's typically what happens is people just shut down. And I, I agree. They, they've not dealt with an outbreak before. This is all new stuff, but all of those questions, Michelle, that's, it's their business. CDC doesn't tell them what they can and can't say. FDA doesn't tell them what they can and can't say. And, um, and, and FDA, honestly, they don't own the product. And, and honestly, what I would say is that Bill Marler would tell them, I'm going to find it all out anyway. And discovery guys, you, you might as well tell web- us now. That's right. And it's on a website. It already, FDA already says it's you for these 22. Right. Right. Or sorry, not 22, these, these eight. So that's where I would start is saying FDA has linked this to us. We're trying to figure out exactly where, what, what went wrong. And, and- and why? Um, and we may never know that, but but as we find out more information, we're going to let you know. And we have to remember, though, that the source of the contamination has not been identified. So we don't know that it happened on the farm. All we know is that this farm's product was implicated. So I think right. they're in a tough spot where they've been named as the supplier, but they haven't been named as the you know the source of the, the contamination. So. Yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's an opportunity to educate the reporter and say, look, I know that your picture may be that we load this onto a truck and we pull it across with some mules to Alaska, but that's not the way produce distribution happens, right? We sell to people who sell to other people and and it's a complicated supply chain, right? Use that as an opportunity to educate the the reporter who's then going to educate the general public about just how complicated produce distribution is these days. Well, yes. But I, I would say that I think you're in a really specific situation. So FDA actually does say they've identified Harrison Farms as the grower and sole source ah. of the whole head romaine lettuce. And and so either they filled an order with someone else's stuff and didn't tell the federal government who's running the uh, correctional facility, which is probably against their contract, or they or they are the source of, of this one. Well, and, but- but what if they harvested perfectly clean lettuce and then somewhere in the distribution chain after it, right. had, it had already left their control, it became contaminated? I'm not saying that is what happened, but I'm saying Good until point. we know more about the distribution chain, we don't know if that happened. Yeah. Well, and, and I guess that's where I would say on, on their part, that's part of their investigation as well, right? right. Is trying to figure out where, where did it go and who handled, um, who handled it and whether um, 
yeah, what, what, what the potential for, for contamination is further down that line. But I wouldn't hang up. I mean, that's the, that's the thing. I think hanging up makes it, makes it worse because makes they, it look like you're guilty. <laughs> well, and they have a story to tell. It may not be a complete story, but, but if they've got someone who does QA and, um, and food safety for them, there's a, there's a story there. They're at this point, they're going to lose something. Um, and, and now it's, it's up to them to try and, uh, recover and, and tell that story. And probably all the stuff that I'm suggesting is the exact opposite of the legal advice that they got. Yep. I, I, <laughs> right? I yeah, like, not surprising. Yep. Yeah. With, uh, from a lawyer who thinks that they might be able to recoup some, some fun, some, you know, from this. I encourage you guys to go online to Harrison Farms website from Yuma, Arizona. They have some great video on there. Is it their Facebook page? Facebook, yeah. I just found it as well. I was just going to send it to everybody. Did you Did you see this video of what looks like? October 2nd, 2017? Yeah, yeah. I'm That's trying to one. tell what that is. I think it, I can't tell. I think it might be cilantro. Yeah. Anyway, so now I'm watching video. <laughs> watching video too, and, and it, it was loud. Uh, uh, oh, uh, they're either planting or I can't tell what they're doing. I think they're planting, right? I think, I think those so might too. be lettuce. Sorry, well, this is fascinating for the listeners. Uh, this is one part of the podcast where Michelle and I watch a video and <laughs> talk about it. Mostly, I'm Travis just watching. Oh God! <laughs> Volume came on my phone. Oh. Sorry. It's okay. It's okay. This is this is how the podcasts get made. So you know, sometimes uh, sometimes there's good audio quality, and sometimes there's videos in the background. So Ben, Ben, I agree with you. It does look like planting at this point. Yeah, which would make sense, right? We're looking at October, yeah, 2017. That's maybe the like start of this season that ended in March, mm-hmm. right? If they or or this is another season they took a gap over Christmas or something. Um, so yeah, anyway, I, yeah, I also found that. All right. Well, so would you, and, and if one of you would uh, send me the, the link, we will, we will be sure to link to that in show notes. Done. So, um, I, I've got, I've got a hard out coming in a few minutes, but I, I really, I thought I just, I really appreciate all of you guys making some time to talk about this. We do have time to talk about, uh, uh, one more thing if it's quick. Can we can we have a brief discussion about blockchain in this? Did you guys talk about that last time? Uh, <laughs> yeah, did I just get the bell? Yes, yes. Oh. Yeah. So, uh, blockchain is. Uh, let me summarize our our opinion. If, and Ben, you can chime in if I get your opinion wrong. But basically, blockchain is only as good as the data that comes in. Um, and uh, you know uh, what it comes down to. And we, we we did talk about this. I think two episodes ago. Um, you know, it's only as good as the data that comes in. And um, you got to have uh, trusted sources. There was actually there was an excellent uh, article that Ben found um, talking about the limitations of blockchain, not in food safety. Um, um, and and it, we'll we'll relink to it again in this episode. So my yeah. question is: If you think if better data went in as to these complex distribution routes the produce went through, do you think the traceback could have been easier? Probably, um, but that makes the assumption that there isn't there isn't someone trying to fill an order and uh, and, and goes to their neighbors to. To fill to fill that order with a case of of lettuce on a pallet, 
Um, but and that, that information be entered into blockchain as well? Well, so that I mean, that's the that's the thing is is as long as that all got into into the information that followed that that pallet or that shipment, then um, that that helps. But if if you have a lot of commingling and you have um, even even at the processing level where you've got five or six or eight um, different farms products coming in to make one large lot, um, the that blockchain doesn't help with that. It just preserves the integrity of the information that went in there. You still have to you still have to do a good job separating those lots and. You have to do a good job um, tracking that that info. What this is like the reporter um, Caitlin Dewey from the uh, Washington Post who called me right before this was that was the start of her conversation was the produce traceability initiative. Is that the problem here? And I was like, no. I mean, if if, if theoretically, if everyone does and buys into it, this probably makes it easier, but you're looking at scales of economy on size of farms and commingling and cash sales and movement wait, back wait, and forth. Can I, can I, can I ask a follow-up question? Sure. What does this make you think about traceability not being a requirement of the produce safety rule? I, 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 I'm fine with that. Um, I think you get into issues on what do you trace and how much do you trace it and how do you register a field and what's the standard that you follow? Um, and these things haven't been sorted out even in business to business. Once you throw that into a regulation, um, I think it gets really, really difficult. So um, I just unmuted Travis because he's talking to me on mute because he just made a really good point that he may or may not repeat. Yeah, so I guess Michelle just put me on the spot. Uh, <laughs> I mean, all the, all the farms that we're talking about in the LGMA in Arizona have a traceability program so I think that maybe the problem is either bigger than that or it didn't work for some reason. I was going to say that they have a traceability program, but maybe it's not a very good one. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know. That's just, I'm just being a smart ass. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that's the question. Yeah. And, um, I mean, let's look at, let's look at what they say. Uh, what, what are the requirements for that, uh, traceability program? I, I don't know enough about the LGMA. Yeah, well, Actually, I, I suspect it's one forward, one back, um, but it might be paper-based, right? Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm in favor of traceability, and I'm in favor of a traceability requirement. And Ben, you know, maybe you and I can put this on the docket for discussion on a future episode. Um, but, I mean, I think traceability is a good thing. Even Even – crappy traceability is better than no traceability. And certainly if we had better traceability, it might help us with this particular outbreak, um, uh, at least trying to figure out what happened. But, you know, again, I'm just an ivory tower academic, you know. <laughs> right. What do we know? Um, as I Google a little bit, here we go. The handler, so here's a best practice for traceability. The hand, handler shall comply with the requirements of the Public Health Security and Bioterrorism Preparedness and Response Act of 2002 including those requirements for record keeping traceability and registration. So I, I don't see anything in here that says it has to be electronic or um, we did, we did a project that one of those things that 
you know, got out of hand and never got finished and, and published, but spent a bunch of time on farms in North Carolina um, looking at traceability systems. And the one farm that I went to, which was like, these are all medium size, not massive farms. So like for us, um, under 200 acres, uh, one farm had on one shipment of product, and I think it was blueberries. Um, I asked them about the one up and one down and how they would go ahead and, and find that. And they had to go to 17 different spots on the farm to complete that traceability step between, Oof. yeah, like one forward, one back in 17 places. In 17 right. Places. But I think that, I think then that might be pretty typical. And so I almost wonder yeah. if something like blockchain where at least it was electronic might make that easier. Or, or I mean, yes, if you could get everyone to buy into it, right? Like, like what, what could happen as well is that, um, instead of the 17 places where you track everything, now I'm just going to really, you know, put four things in cause they're the easy ones. And that's what goes into my blockchain. Um, but yeah, I mean, traceability is a problem in this, in this case. Well, cool. Well, well, again, I just want to say thanks to everybody for, um, accommodating such a short turnaround time on this. Um, uh, we've just got one or two more minutes if anybody wants to make a final point. Um, but if, but if not, I'll just, uh, thank you all. And, and Ben, uh, I will, uh, I will do this one and I think Ooh. maybe we should just make it, uh, episode 152 and we're on, on the books for the next one coming up, uh, soon. Awesome. Thanks guys for joining us. This was awesome. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Everybody take care. Have a good rest of the day. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye.